Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is the U.S. economy too hot to handle? Hi, everyone. Welcome to this extended Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. Hey, Jim, it's great to see you. Great to see you, too. An interesting day that I uh, wound up coming on. Somebody thinks we designed it. They think I have ESP. I wish I had those powers, but it, but it is an interesting day. So uh, just before we, we jump into it, just a reminder to everyone, thank you for your patience. We, it's, uh, what is too hot to handle is the mad genius happening on Bianco's computer and our, and, and just in general for, for uh, Skype and Zoom and everything like that. All these systems are problematic. Sk- Slack, if you have it. Uh, everything's been having issues today, but we got them now. And it is an extended uh, daily briefing. So if you want to remain with us for the second half and you are not already a member, scan the QR code, jump on a trial so you don't miss anything. Um, so Jim, uh, lots of different news today. Um, what what jumped out at you? You tell me, what what did you find interesting? Well, two things. Obviously, the, the big story this morning was the downgrade by Fitch of the U.S. from triple A to double A plus, and how everybody's been misreading that and what that really means. And bottom line is it doesn't mean anything. Uh, and, um, and it doesn't mean any, let me stick with that for a second. It doesn't mean anything because Fitch, Moody's, S&P are national statistical rating organizations, NRSOs. They are not a party of elders or a council of elders that came out of the drum tower that decided that the U.S. is worth less than it was the day before. That's not what this is about. This is about that a lot of people have mandates and they have guidelines on what they can invest in and cannot invest in. In 2011, when S&P downgraded the U.S., some of those mandates that were written back as far as the 70s said that your mandate was that if you wanted to put margin up at the exchange, you can only use AAA-rated securities. Oh, man, now all of a sudden, treasury bills won't qualify for margin, and that would create chaos in the financial markets, or collateral for repo uh, for, for a repo trade, or some other type of uh, organization, or that you are an investor and you can only invest in AAA. That was 2011, and that's why when S&P downgraded, we had a lot of chaos. In the 12 years since then, we have changed a lot of those rules to say AAA and or government debt. And now that the U.S. got downgraded, there's still government debt, so it doesn't really matter as much. So what happened was a legal thing happened last night with Fitch downgrading the S&P. You have to scramble to, if you're somebody listening to this call and you trade options or you trade futures, all right, well, you're going to have to check with your broker to see if posting treasury securities is still applicable for margin. Yes, because they will accept government securities. Maybe 15 years ago, the rules said AAA securities, but that's not been changed. And that's why this was largely a non-event for the market. and will remain a non-event for the market because all these rating agencies are statistical, I mean, are legal movements 
They're not economic movements. So that, that's a really important distinction. And I remember covering that downgrade and it was much more serious that you felt that people were very concerned about the implications. So thank you for laying out exactly why it's not, does not feel like that this time around, because we saw it screamed all over the headlines and the timing of it was a surprise. The fact that they downgraded it, they've been warning, they had it on negative watch. The timing caught some people off guard, but ultimately, as you say, um, it doesn't matter if it doesn't have the same implications. So what about the economic data that you've been seeing? If the downgrade wasn't important, what about what about what's happening with the economy? Because we did, we have a big jobs number Friday, but we have been getting this sort of steady drumbeat of kind of interesting readings on the US economy. Yes, and the drumbeat that we've been getting has been good. The economy has been looking rather well. It looks like you know, to put it in the parlance of soft landing, you know, um, with shout out to Torsten Slock for inventing the word, no landing is what we've got. The plane is just continuing on. There's, it isn't even putting down its its uh, landing gear at all to even attempt it. And that is where, is that good that we're just continuing on? Maybe. Be, and why would I say maybe? What would be wrong with the economy just continuing to grow? Inflation. That's really where I think the issue is coming in, is as we look at inflation and as we all convinced ourselves last week that inflation's done, the Fed just did their last rate hike, it's all over, we're not even a week later, and now all of a sudden we're starting to talk about hmm, maybe inflation is coming back, maybe the economy is going to stay strong, maybe the problem with the labor market is there is no problem with the labor market, and that's going to keep wages up. And that might open the door to that other rate hike that the Fed said that they would do uh, in 2023. And I've been very vocal that there might even be another one after that. It may probably be 2024, but they might not be done at all. So, yeah, the economy, the numbers are looking pretty good. And that in 2018, 2019 would have been great news. But in 2023, that might mean just more inflation. And that might mean more rate hikes. And that's really where I think the market's now starting to focus on and getting a little concerned. Yeah, because you're right. We had not only you, you had, were you hearing soft landing, you were hearing the peak is in for rates. Uh, Treasury peak is in. We have uh, a, a, the, the, the Fed themselves really kind of messaged around that, saying they're data dependent and you know inflation was looking encouraging. Do you think the Fed's going to be surprised by this, Jim? Fed's always surprised by this stuff. I mean, that's nothing <laughs> new. Uh, a quick word about the Fed. Um, they are an organization of 1,000 PhDs, and they, they model public information because there really isn't any non-public information when it comes to the economy. Uh, and so they know no more than the consensus knows. And that's why a lot of their forecasts are consensus forecasts. What the Fed does have that we don't have is internal bank data because they're banking regulators, but then all the banks go bust and we know how good that is for them as well. Uh, so as we look forward, I think that, uh, yeah, the Fed has been signaling the same thing Wall Street's been signaling, right? They took the, off the table the idea that there'd be a recession later this year. Mm -hmm. They are also looking at the idea that maybe inflation is bottomed. So they're in that same camp. But now, if you look at what's been happening, especially in the energy market, especially with gasoline prices, up almost 6% in a little over a week is what we've seen with gasoline prices. This is going to filter through more and more to inflation. 
Cleveland Fed does this thing called the nowcast for inflation. They make an estimate for July and August. And I know everybody comes back to me and says, yeah, well, it's not very good. True, but it's as good as the consensus or anybody's forecast. They've got year-over-year inflation back to nearly 4% in two months. It's mm. going to go from 3% to 3.4 when the July number comes out, if their forecast of 0.4 for July is correct. They've got a forecast now for August of 0.65, almost 0.7. Uh, if that is correct, we'll be near 4% on year-over-year inflation in the space of um, just two months. Now, that is a big base effect in there. Base effect, why? Because a year ago, it, gasoline prices collapsed. So you had zero for July of 2022 inflation. You had 0.2 for July of uh, August of 2022 inflation. So yeah, you're going to get a big base effect. But what I've argued is, if Jay Powell's not going to look at uh, a four percent, uh, a creep back to four percent in year-over-year inflation and say that's it, we're done, we're done, no more rate hikes. No, he's going to have to continue to at least maintain the, the, the charade that they are being tight because of higher inflation. And rate cuts, I, I, quick word on rate cuts, uh, the Fed only cuts rates, the last four rate cut cycles have only occurred under one scenario. The economy falls apart and the Fed panics and they're mm -hmm. trying to stop a recession and they can't. This idea that the Fed is going to declare victory and start cutting next year as part of a uh, look at how good we are, we slayed inflation. They don't work that way. They will stop raising rates and maybe stop raising rates for seven years if they have to. But the day that a rate cut comes is usually the rate cut is usually the worst day to own stocks because that's the that's the that is the confirmation everything is falling apart. You know, March of 2020, um, February 2020, early March of 2020 was the last time they started cutting rates. So now let me be clear here. We're not cutting rates now, and we're not talking about cutting rates right now. But this whole idea that the Fed's going to pivot next year and that's going to be really bullish, it usually is the opposite. It's usually the worst environment uh, because the Fed does not want to feed the monster of a, of a financial market bubble. So they will only cut rates when everything goes sideways. And at that point, you don't want to own anything when things start going sideways. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's always you always sort of wonder when you see people, the market rallying because the Fed's going to ease. It's like, well, if that's happening, we've got bigger problems, right? Like we've got right, exactly. very big problems in the. So we have a bunch of questions about treasuries, about rates. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to as many as we can. We've got longer today. But you mentioned the stock market. Just to plug back into today's action, we saw uh, U.S. stocks retreat, right? I mean, they've been on a tear. It, it seemed like nothing could push them down. Um, but not only did we see them selling off, we saw them sort of accelerating a little bit into the close. And you're going to see a lot of headlines that connect that Fitch downgrade to igniting the sell-off and everything. I think we need to put that aside based on what you just said. What do you make of this sell-off? Does it feel like just consolidation after this relentless March higher, or is there something else going on, you think? Yeah, the Fitch downgrades U.S. Treasuries, and they don't sell off, but stocks do. Please explain. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, yeah. <laughs> but that's going to be on every um, headline, because that's how it goes. Well, of, of course. Of course, every headline is going to be uh, be that way. I think we, really what's going on is if you look at the, uh, let's take the 30-year yield uh, for one example. Uh, 
We hit 420 today intraday. Now, the high last October was 438. We're starting to get back in the shouting distance of the high of the entire hiking cycle, which was almost a year ago. So rates are starting to move higher. And because and the yield curve is starting to steepen, or in this case, get less inverted. What does that mean that the yield curve is starting to steepen? That means that long term rates are moving up faster than short term rates. Now, why would long term rates start moving up faster? In this point of the cycle, if you're not diligent, you being the central bank, not diligent in, in addressing inflation, I don't want to own your long-term securities. And your long-term securities are selling off harder. Yes, there's also the issue of that the Treasury announced more supply. I tend to push back on that for two reasons. One, supply has always had a very loose relationship with interest rates. And two, it was largely known that this supply was going to come. And three, most of the supply, even though they increased the 10 and 30 years, most of the supply is still on the front end of the curve. It's not in the back end of the curve. But so I think the better explanation of what's happening with interest rates is there is a creeping worry about inflation. Not 9% June of 22 worry about inflation, but four. And if we're going to stay at four, then let's do some math. Let's say that we creep back to four. And then let's say that the Fed and thinks that their long-term number, their long-term inflation goal is not 2%, it's three. Jay Powell's already told us that he thinks the neutral funds rate is three and a half is half a percent above the long-term inflation rate. So if the new if the long-term inflation rate is now three instead of two, that means the neutral funds rate is three and a half. Well, when the yield curve normalizes, it should be about 150 basis points above that. That means that the fair value for the 10 years five. It's at 403 right now. So it's it's the yield is way too low. That's why this inflation thing matters. Because if if the if inflation is going to be a stickier problem, a 3% problem, maybe three and a half, not two, certainly I'm not saying anything about nine, then you're talking about that interest rates are too low and they're going to have to start moving up. Now, that might not affect the Magnificent Seven on stocks, um, but it will affect the other 493 in the Russell 2000, that those stocks will start to feel the brunt of higher rates. In fact, they have. They've Those stocks have really underperformed when you start looking, especially when you get into the Russell 2000 or you get into the what's called the Russell Microcap Index, which is the lower 1,000 stocks in the 2000. I mean, that's that stock index, the, the bottom 1,000 stocks of the Russell 2000. So that is the smaller of the small cap mm -hmm. stocks was still down on the year three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So any rally that they've had is only come in the last three or four weeks. Uh, so those stocks have really been struggling. Why do I think they've been struggling? because they've got to contend with higher interest rates and they have to contend with a banking system that is not as healthy as we would like it to be. Big companies can go borrow in the corporate bond market. Small companies have to go to banks. And then if the banking system is not willing to hand out loans uh, because of their problems, then it's going to be felt within the rest of the economy. So higher rates matters. It, 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 and it's showing up. It may not matter to NVIDIA. It may not matter to mm -hmm. Apple. It may not matter to Microsoft. Uh, it may not matter to Tesla. And, but it does matter to pretty much everything else. I think that's a really, really important statement, Jim. And, you know, our regular viewers will remember when we had Ben Miller on talking about the real economy versus the financial economy. You know, there is sensitivity and even 
there are some companies I'm imagining, Jim, that maybe had a capital cushion, but they're going to have to go to the market soon. They just don't have this mountain of cash like an apple to float themselves, right? These are smaller companies that, you know, they're, they're in order to operate, they need cash flow and they need to borrow. They're going to get hit. Even if they didn't get hit now, they're going to get hit with a rate reset. So that's th- there is a lot of sensitivity that people seem to forget about because they're focused on the other part of the market, which has looked fu- looked okay. Do you, so Doug, I think that answered your question, Jim, is the 10-year yield signaling future inflation. You're saying it's certainly signaling that rates are too low. Does it mean that we're going to see higher inflation from here or just that it's sticky where it is and rates are not recognizing that appropriately or both? I think it's the, I think it's the the second statement that Inflation is going to stay stickier in the three to three and a half range. And like I said, you do the math, then fair value is closer to five on the uh, 10 year note. And uh, when you and the steepening yield curve, meaning the long term rates rising faster than short term rates. I mean, if I was to put it bluntly, Jay Powell, if you're not going to deal with the inflation problem, I don't want to own your 10 year note. And that's basically what you've started. That's what a steepening yield curve means is that uh, the Fed might be falling behind the curve. The yield curve, the two-year, 10-year curve, just to put this in perspective, was 104 basis points last week, and it's 81 basis points, at least it was about an hour ago, 81 basis points right now. That's a big move in a week for the yield curve to uh, steep it out or get less inverted by 23 basis points in about six days, six trading days. Again, volatility in the bond market, like we are not used to seeing though, right? Not only are we not used to seeing it, but, you know, I, I spend my day with a lot of bond people and it's like, you know, oh, what's going on? Quiet day. The 10 year only moved about 14 basis points. I'm like, man, I can remember when the 10 year moved 14 basis points. We were our jaws were on the floor. Now that's just Wednesday, you yeah. know, in the bond market right now. This is the opposite of what's happening in the stock market with a 13 VIX and nothing's going on over there. There is a lot of there is a lot of volatility and there is a lot of movement um, within the bond market. Yeah, which is something, again, that's really important to bring up. I want to get this question in uh, from Carl. Uh, Can Jim make a sensible thesis as to why after the credit downgrade, gold is lower, Bitcoin is lower, et cetera, when in theory, they should be higher on devaluation? Is this obvious manipulation? Please advise. So you said... um, on obvious devaluation, the implication in your question is the downgrade meant something. You know, the downgrade meant something. And like I said, it's a legal thing, the downgrade. If you are a financial manager that can only invest in AAA or can only use certain securities for margin, and those securities now become ineligible because they got downgraded, that's a big deal. But that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So when you look at gold and you look at Bitcoin, um, or other outside of the financial system type of, of areas, first of all, you have to say that the downgrade did not impact anything. So now those areas like Bitcoin and stuff, they're going to start trading on their own issues. And crypto's got issues right now. I would, you know, without going down the rabbit hole here, I'll just say that between the terror uh, um, ruling that the courts had about whether or not those were investment contracts and the curve Dow uh, not, and, and the curve finance, excuse me, hack that we saw over the weekend, really going to a primitive in uh, uh, DeFi and showing that it is vulnerable. 
there's some real problems there in crypto. Not problems they can't solve. But, you know, as I've often said, crypto, the, the killer in crypto is still going to be hacks. Anybody gets hacked that has got credibility like Curve, and it really just casts a pull over the entire space right now. And so that's where I think that the crypto space is really struggling with right now. Because, you know, I'll say this to any crypto, uh, any, uh, crypto devs that are following, this is not gaming. You cannot put out a buggy 1.0 and people just have a bad game experience and the game crashes. You put out a buggy 1.0 DeFi and people lose their life savings. You cannot ever, ever, ever have a hack. And what do crypto have like all the time? Hacks. And that's why it's just never going to get ready for prime time if this continues. And now that you've had a hack, although minor, in one of the more important primitives in Curve Finance, it just really casts, I, I think, a big pall over the entire space. So that's my, my little diatribe about what's going on um, with crypto. Gold, I've been on here before, and I'll just say with gold, with all due respects to Peter Schiff, I love Peter Schiff, but man, you've got everything Peter's ever wanted with gold for the last year, and it just can't get out of its own way. I don't know what more is going to get gold to move at this point. We've had inflation. We've had recession fears. We've had volatility in the bond market. We've had banking failures. We've had all kinds of things that gold bugs say, this is going to get it to go. Now we just had a downgrade. The U.S. is no longer AAA. It cannot move. Gold's got bigger issues than just the Fitch downgrade right now. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, that's uh, well said. One of the most frustrating things. I, we have loads of people that come on that also say, like, I've just given up. You know, <laughs> like, I understand right. the arguments. But a uh, question about Bitcoin, is it still trading like a risk asset? Uh, uh, the other issues aside, is it correlating still with risk assets? To some extent, it really isn't. Um, uh, it had a big run in January. Uh, a lot of the cryptos did, and then it's been struggling so it's it's correlation with like the Nasdaq has been weakening some. Uh, so it really hasn't been. And I've argued that that's a good thing because in the long run, it is not a risk asset. If your argument is Bitcoin is a risk asset, it, it has no place because it's just part of the current TradFi system. It's just a levered version of the triple Qs. Well, I can go buy the, the Dexion 3X QQQ and I don't need Bitcoin then at that point. Bitcoin is supposed to be something else. So it's starting to show that. But what I think it's getting mired in is this regulatory morass of, of is it a security, isn't it a security? Now, Bitcoin might not be, but the rest of the world is. But you know, the problem is Bitcoin might not be a security, but every electronic wallet like MetaMask or something uh, like that, that you want to own Bitcoin in, has to register. Uh, and so it is becoming a problem this regulatory thing. It, I think ultimately crypto is going to win that argument, but it hasn't been won just yet. And all legal arguments, you know, go backward and forward all the time before you finally get to that final resolution. So it's still got some issues. 
So we have so many good questions and I will get to as many as possible before we have to flip over for members only though. And I know, I realize we started a couple of minutes late, so I'm going to extend this just a few more minutes. I um, want to get your thoughts on oil. So we've been talking about inflation. How does energy fit into that picture? You mentioned gas prices, by the way, up 6%. That's a huge move. We always talk about gas prices as being a, like almost an immediate tax on the consumer. So we can talk about that. But what do you see happening with oil prices from here? Well, let me start with gas real quick. Up 6% in nine days. That's the biggest move it's had since last November. It equals the move that it had in January. Uh, if that move holds, that 6% in nine days holds, that adds two-tenths to the overall and CPI number. Mm. Now, of course, oil price, I mean, gasoline prices could retreat and take some of that back. But if it holds, it, it would add, it would add two-tenths. Now, what's been the driver of that? Since late June, crude oil prices are up over 21%. And what's been the driver of that, that the 21% rally in crude oil prices that's starting to get gasoline prices? Uh, OPEC has been very clear with Russia, the OPEC plus, about voluntarily cutting production and continuing to cut production. And they have been very clear that their goal is to crush all of the short sellers in the crude oil market. That you know the OPEC, minister, OPEC energy minister said he wants to make them ouch. That was his exact phrase that he used about speculators in oil. They want to see the price of oil go through the roof. And they are now, and I had been kind of critical of them because they've been saying it since like March and from March to like June, they weren't getting any traction on that. And they kept cutting production and cutting production and it wasn't working. Well, now it seems to be working and the price of crude oil is going. Now, there's another thing that is happening too, and that is the SPR. The SPR is down at a 40-year low. Uh, it is not in a position anymore like it was 18 months ago to just open the spigots on the SPR and flood the, the domestic market with oil to keep the price of gasoline down. They did that. They've effectively drained the SPR. It's not at zero, but they effectively can't go much lower than they are right now. Uh, and so they don't have that firepower to step up and try and um, alleviate gas prices. They could talk to the Saudis all they want, but the Saudis who are talking with the Russians, and they're no friends of anybody's right now, are making it clear they want very they want prices up a lot more, and they're going to continue to go up. Now, let me throw in one other um, uh, thing about that, too. Demand for oil is going through the roof because there is no landing in the economy, because mm. economic strength has been strong. So, you know, somebody, you know, the previous question was, does Bitcoin trade like a risk asset? And I said, no, but oil does. Oil does definitely trade like a, like a risk asset right now. It's, it was down big today with the stock market. And one of the reasons it is, is because if we're going to have no landing in the economy and it's going to, you know, and that means that earnings are going to recover and there's not going to be a recession. Okay, get ready for much higher oil too, because that's going to come with no landing. And if the stock market stumbles and maybe gets, gets people rethinking that, oil will go down too. So it's definitely trading like a risk asset, but it's also got this upward bias to it. And so, yeah, when you add all of that up, that is going to be problematic. You could, you could intellectualize it all you want. Oh, but the, your CPI is going to go to 4% because it's driven by gasoline. Fine. And Jay Powell will say, you're 100% right. Here's another rate hike. He is not going to try and dismiss that and say, I cannot not raise rates. 
look, you could argue the 9% move in inflation last year, a big part of that was $120 crude oil that drove the national average of gasoline prices over $5. Mm. We're at 380 right now. Uh, did that stop the Fed from raising rates? Oh, it's all gas prices. It doesn't really count. No, they were raising 75 a meeting uh, uh, back then when we were having $5 gas. So if gasoline prices are going up because demand is coming back and OPEC is trying to squeeze, then yes, when we're done intellectualizing it, then we'll just start looking for another rate hike because that's what will come on the other side of that. But Jim, if, if, the, if the, the U.S. economy strength comes from the consumer, they're super sensitive to gas prices. It's one of right. those things that feeds through quickly. You know, we see it all the time. Wouldn't that, I don't want to say do the Fed's work, but wouldn't that have a cooling effect on the economy? It could have a cooling effect on the economy, but I guess the question we'd have to ask ourselves is, what is the price that would cool the economy? Yeah. Um, $5 gas a year ago, June, June of 22, we had $5 gas and we had negative GDP in the second quarter of last year. Okay, so we know that $5 gas will, will definitely do it. We're at 380 right now on gas prices. We were at 360 at the beginning of last week. So up 20 cents in like eight or nine days. Hmm. Uh, is $4 gonna be enough? Is 425 enough, 450? Or is it 485? Yeah. And so I think really what we're looking at is the potential that we're gonna go 485, 490, 495. That's enough to push the inflation statistics up, but not another the economy. Four, yeah. It's four, it's an extra four dollars, you know, 20 cents on a 20 gallon tank, it's four bucks more to fill your car. Um, is that really gonna slow the economy in another four bucks to fill your tank? Not not really. Maybe if it's 10 or 12 or $15, it might, but then you're pushing four and a half dollars um, in order to get there. So we're not there yet. We'd have to see prices go a lot higher. Yeah, great point. And no, everyone tries to figure out what that pain threshold is. And it's just it's just so hard because there's so many other factors. I'm gonna squeeze this one in for you, Melson, and then we're gonna have to flip over to members only. Um, Jim, since your base case is for the Fed to hike rates into 2024, you can say if that's true, approximately yes. when do you anticipate terminal Fed funds rate. Thanks. So yes, my base case is, is that um, I've been arguing that uh, this whole cycle has been hallmarked, this whole rate hike cycle has been hallmarked by one thing, and that is a chronic underestimation of the Fed. And my favorite story in that is in February 2022, uh, Wall Street was whispering, you think they could raise rates four times this year, 425 basis point hikes. And then Jamie Dimon came out in February 2022 and said, look, I think they could raise rates six or seven times. Six or seven rate hikes? Wow, look at Dimon going way out on a limb. Well, he was wrong. We didn't have six or seven rate hikes in 2022. We had 21 is what we had in 2022. And we had another four this year <laughs> and maybe another one coming. So Everybody has chronically underestimated the Fed. I don't know of anybody who's overestimated the Fed um, at this point. So yes, my base case is they're gonna keep raising rates. Why? Because everybody who thinks they're not has to explain themselves. I don't have to explain myself if you want me to be flippant about it yeah. uh, because they've been, they've, been so, uh, they've been so short on it. And yeah, so I do think that the, uh, the Fed is gonna to continue uh, to, to move higher because I think that Jay Paul has made it very clear. We all ignore the opening paragraph of all of his press conferences because he says exactly the same thing, every paragraph. We're here to serve the American people. 
If you have inflation, you don't have an economy. We understand the hardships that inflation brings, especially on people that are at the lower ends of the income strata. And words to that effect. Yeah. He is arguing that of paramount concern is inflation. Nothing else takes precedent over inflation. As a matter of fact, what I did find that was rather interesting in the press conference last week was all his prepared remarks were about inflation and all of his questions were about real growth and he answered them about what they mean about inflation. And we just haven't gotten it. He is all about inflation right now until we get back to 2%. I've even gone one step further. Well, well, what happens if we have inflation and, it's str- and, the, and the markets struggle? People that own markets, take one for the team. You're going to have to watch markets struggle if he's going to get, like we did in 2022, you know, because he is going to be singularly focused on inflation. And this is really, to this day, very difficult for people to get their rounds around. That's why we've chronically underestimated the Fed, because we can't believe that A, inflation is that big a problem, and B, that the Fed is that focused on inflation. They've got to be focused on financial stability, and they've got to be mm-hmm. focused on real growth and employment and the like. The Fed's data dependent. Um, you could turn that around and you could say after 500 basis points of rate hikes, we're still at a 3.7% unemployment rate. There's been no damage to the to the labor market because of those rate hikes. Mm. So Jay could look at that and just as easily conclude, okay, so all I've done is go raise rates 500 basis points and I've taken them from neutral to neutral. I haven't gotten really restrictive yet. And that if you st- if you start thinking of it in those terms, He's got a lot more that he could go. So, you know, at some point, I'll probably overestimate the Fed is, you know, at at some point. But boy, everybody else is so underestimated the Fed because they cannot get their head around. It's about inflation, 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 inflation. And all the things you think are important are a footnote to the Fed. And, And once we understand that, it starts to make a little more sense. Absolutely. Fantastic stuff. Uh, and John, John says uh, gas is uh, over $5 already in Washington state. We're sorry for you, John, but we're going to brace yes, for the same so here soon. In the, <laughs> in, the west, in the western part of the U.S., the gas prices are very, very high right now. So listen, we are going to jump over. Uh, as always, come join us. Come be part of our community. Scan that QR code. Jump on a trial. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.